right, everybody. I hope uh, hope everyone had a great week last week and a a great weekend. Got to watch the game yesterday. Well, actually, it was a very enjoyable game to watch. So it's not always the case with the Super Bowl, but I thought it was a, a fun game, a good game, and it was worth the three and a half hours invested in it. So <clears throat> let's um, let's get right to the questions. Um, I forgot about this in my email. It was lost in my draft folder weeks ago. If they're watching the video in the case for oil, I had a couple of questions. This was, so probably, I don't know, about a month ago, I posted a link to an hour-long conversation. The guy was giving us his bull case for oil uh, over the next couple of years. Um, at the 44 to 46-minute mark, there was a comment about pipelines. This comment would seem to contradict a strong pipeline equity position in that the previous theory was that new pipelines would open the spigot for more oil. If you watch the video on bullcase oil, the most compelling takeaway I have is that with a stronger move towards positive cash flow and less equity investment, oil prices will rise due to forced lower supply and curve of normalized demand. I don't get the sense that you can support the bullcase for oil price inflation and higher output through the pipelines at the same time. <clears throat> okay, so if you notice um, the pipeline companies that we have, uh, Williams and Kinder Morgan, they are both predominantly natural gas pipeline companies. <clears throat> I believe it's 76, almost 80% of Kinder Morgan's um, revenues are from uh, gas pipelines, and I believe it's the same with Williams. Um, so one of the byproducts of drilling for oil is natural gas. It comes out of the ground. And that's part of the problem with the Permian right now is that there's so much oil coming from the Permian and there aren't gas, there's not enough gas pipeline infrastructure. They're flaring records amounts of um, natural gas because you have to do something with it when the oil comes up. So they just burn it. They flare it into the air because um, they can't. There's no infrastructure to put that into a pipeline and transport it. Uh, that's the reason, you know, Kinder Morgan and Williams and others are racing to put pipelines in our areas to take that gas away. So it's not necessarily oil pipelines that we're interested in. It's natural gas pipelines. And we're interested in natural gas pipelines because the supply of natural gas is growing significantly every year. The demand for natural gas is growing incredibly significantly uh, every year, both from uh, usage in the U.S., right? more and more electricity every year is being generated by natural gas, and for um, LNG to export to other countries. So that's really what we're interested in. It's not necessarily oil pipelines, although I do believe there's going to need to be more oil pipelines coming out, um, simply because of natural supply. Um, but what we're saying, what the, I think the thesis of that video was that um, because of the lack of spending and the, the the focus on cash flows is that the growth in the oil is not going to keep pace with the demand so you're going to have a short but you're still going to need more oil pipelines because <clears throat> there's more drilling going on um, just not as much as you're going to need natural gas pipelines so i think there's a little bit of confusion in um, the thesis right so we're interested in more natural gas pipelines with the whole companies that we have not oil because we believe natural gas is going to be an industry that, A, desperately needs new pipelines. They need new pipelines for takeaway in the Permian, and they need, the Northeast desperately needs new pipelines. 
to for supply to supply it to the northeast. Um, so that's that's where we are with that. Um, Sweeney statements have made positive case for shareholders. Any concern with this goes to court decision will go the opposite. We think more in line with what our crazy government is doing and making up their own laws. I've stopped paying attention to impeachment stuff because I've already determined that from the info that has come out, there is no case and the whole thing's stupid political move to influence the next election. If government can unless part of the wrong thing, what's to say this case is going to trial wouldn't be influenced as well. <clears throat> um, I mean, there's always a chance um, and I apologize, I'm fighting a cold here. Um, there's always a chance when you go to court, you lose, right? Which is why cases like this tend to almost always settle. Because both sides realize a settlement is in everyone's best interest versus losing in court, which is disastrous for whoever loses, right? These cases almost always settle for some amount of money. If you look at all the... All the cases from um, the financial crisis, 99% of them settle. That's just the way it happens. So I expect a settlement in this at some point also. Um, the government can't risk losing in court, and shareholders can't risk losing in court. So it, it, they'll settle. They'll come up on some sort of agreement to settle. Now, <clears throat> they're both waiting because obviously how things play out um, you know, if the Supreme Court is going to take the case and da da da, then it gives shareholders more leverage. If the opposite happens, it gives the government more leverage. So no one's in a hurry to settle right now. Um, I think because both sides feel like their cases are more powerful than the others. But eventually, um, eventually it's going to happen. So. Um, all these Fannie Mae court cases have me confused. Any high-level insight the significance of, of any high-level insight as to significance of all different levels of importance to which ones really matter? I mean, does one win with, at a high level trump all others? It's a follow-up question from the previous question where I really worry about political corruption ability for our courts to get it right. Too many court cases means too many opportunities for a firecracker to make a statement that the media jumps on. Thinking by now. Too much momentum to move in stockholders' direction, but you never know. Um, so, I mean, obviously, the, 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 the ones that matter the most are obviously the one before the um, Supreme Court, right? Because that ultimately, the Supreme Court is the final arbiter of all these court cases, and whatever they rule um, is going to directly influence every other case underneath them. Um, maybe not in an absolute way, but, you know, if... if you know, this, if the Supreme Court rules for us, then all these other cases are then directed by the Supreme Court to a finding of fact of what the Supreme Court rules. And that may just determine these other court cases. So that's the one that's the most important. Um, you know, as far as the corruption and things like that, I mean, the, the legal tide has clearly turned in our favor. Right, you have Fifth Circuit win. You have Sweeney's statements. You have the D.C. Circuit Court sending the case back to Lambeth and his statements to the government. So the, I would say the legal, the legal outlook is definitely, definitely far better for us now than it was even six, eight months ago. Um, so you know, with that, I, I'm not too concerned about some sort of corruption 
Um, and I think in this case, the opposite is true, is the more courts that are involved and the more people have their say, the less likely something like that is because, you know, it's it just, it, it's hard to corrupt 100 people. It's easy to corrupt two. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So, um, you know, I'm not too worried about that part of it. Um I enjoy the podcast, look forward to it every week. One thing to consider, it's gotten better recently, but just making you aware. When you read the questions, sometimes you plow through them and mumble the words. Obviously because you've already read the question. Or, uh, you know what, that's a good, that's a fair point. There are times I don't, <clears throat> I don't know what the question is and I'm listening to your answer. That's a fair point. I will, I will make it a definite, uh, definite um, point to slow down reading the questions. I can see how that would be really confusing. Um, here's another question. You posted an update article on SRG this week. Would you think this would be a good entry point to this stock? I think the stock's going to be a big winner over time. I really do. So, I mean, if you haven't bought it yet and you want to buy at these levels, I, you know, it, I think it's very cheap right now based on this future potential. So, you know, <clears throat> I don't know what the stock's going to do in the next one, two, three, six months, but... You know, I think over the next two, three, four years, I think it's going to be a really good investment. Um, you know, they have a ton of property. You know, don't forget, this is, everyone was calling for this stock to go under a year ago when Sears, you know, finally hit the wall. You know, they thought oh, they're going to dump all these properties on Sears. They're going to lose all this rent. They're not going to be able to afford it. They have a million-dollar loan to Buffett, right? Remember that? People were saying Buffett's loan to them was a backdoor takeover, you know, that he knows that they're in trouble and he's waiting to default the loan so he can take over the company on the cheap because he has all the capital to fix it. Da, 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 da. Remember that? It was, it was junk back then and I said it was junk back then and it's proven to be junk. Um, you know, the company is almost completely free of Sears rents and leases right now and they're, they're releasing property at $20 a square foot over the last six, eight months. And, you know, that's 3 or $4 a square foot that Sears is paying. They have a massive development pipeline. Roughly half of their expected future rent is still in this development pipeline. So results are going to really start to jump, you know. And, you know, we've been saying this for some time. And, yeah, sure, we were probably really early in the stock, but whatever. Um, you know, we've been saying for a long time that, you know, there was this bubble of development because the company basically started from scratch and, you know, acquired all these properties and had to redevelop them and do their thing with them. Um, you know, there's this bubble of development coming up that's going to start coming online all at once. And when it does, you're going to see large jumps in, in results, and you're going to see people people start to really notice uh, what's going on there. So, And, and you know, not to mention, this doesn't, even, this doesn't even account for the six to 8,000 residences now they're going to start putting in some of these redevelopment sites that they've done. So I think, you know, I think there's a pretty long run with this one. I don't think it's ridiculously priced at all. And I think uh, I don't, I wouldn't, look at you and say it's a poor choice if you made an investment in it now. Um, the last time we bought Exxon was when it went below 60 and we did very well on our return. It looks like it may go below 860 again soon. Would this be a good place to get back again to this stock? Yeah, we, we did really good on that was a long that was a long time ago. Um, we did really good on Exxon then and we didn't have to hold it very long. Um, I don't so for my personal view, okay Buying Exxon is not a bad idea. Um, I'm not buying it because I already have a lot of exposure to oil and gas right now, and I don't want to add to that. 
So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, <clears throat> you know, if someone wants to buy ExxonMobil, you know, again, I can't say that's a bad idea or it's a poor investment. Um, but, you know, personally, I'm not doing it just because I have a lot of oil and gas names anyway. So, I mean, if I had to, I guess if I had to choose between TPL and Exxon, I'd rather own TPL. Um, just because I think it's really cheap. And I think there's a lot of really neat things going on there. There's some catalysts. You know, it's kind of a special situation. Um, catalysts going on that might unlock a lot of value in a short period of time. Um, but, you know, if you already own TPL and you want to own another oil and gas name. Excuse me. I can't, uh, I can't look at anyone and say uh, you shouldn't be doing that <clears throat> with Exxon. Um, I wonder how long CHK can tolerate oil at this level. I know this isn't brief burn, but that situation did illustrate that when things get bad, the equity just goes to zero, as all the other creditors long only take all that's left. Um, so, you know, CHK is a weird thing because they, if we if we are to believe that. Um, you know, those Hainfeld assets are up for sale and they're working on a deal with Comstock, then um, I think that the run rate gets a lot longer for CHK. You know, if they do that and oil prices begin their climb again, then it gets even longer. And, you know, then you're looking at maybe a cash flow positive situation and that's really what they're going for. And if that happens, the stock goes up really quick. So, you know, and admittedly, the refinancing they did in December um, pushed off any sale of the Haynesville assets. And obviously, there were, <clears throat> um, when they restructured some of that debt, um, obviously, there were some assets that were, you know, included, some weren't. So, you know, they obviously couldn't be selling um, things at that point in time, uh, given the fact that. Uh, you know, they were in the middle of a refinancing. So hopefully now that that's over and done with, uh, this is back on the plate and, and Comstock is taking a look at those assets. I mean, they've, they've invested a lot of money in that space. They're big in that area. <clears throat> they clearly like it. So, um, you know, it, it makes sense for them to do the deal if they want. Um, the only question is, does Lawler do it? And, you know, are they is Comstock trying to basically hold them? their feet to the fire and get a fire sell price and if CHK is going to eliminate that. I mean, they have no <clears throat> no debt maturities for a couple of years coming due. So um, it's a very different situation. Their lending base for next year was, um, was redone and reaffirmed and there was no cut in that. Um, so, you know, I, I think they can go for a while. You know, we'll see. Um, you know, they, they have the assets to sell to lower the debt. So, you know, any, any rebound in price is going to have an outsized effect on them. You know, obviously you don't want to see oil <clears throat> go into the low 50s, right, or even in the 40s for a prolonged period of time. That would be, that would be detrimental to them. Obviously, I don't see that scenario. It's not something I think is going to happen. I, I still think that, you know, oil is going to go higher before it goes lower. Now it's going lower because of this coronavirus, which is... In my opinion, a massive media-driven event. Um, 
you know, it, more people die of the regular influenza and related illnesses every day, every month in just the U.S. alone than have died from this coronavirus worldwide since it was discovered at the end of December. So, you know, it's for me, this it's a non-event at all. It's just the media hyping things up, people overreacting. And um, I think when that settles and everyone realizes that, you know, this isn't a Stephen King novel and this isn't, uh, <clears throat> what was that book? The Stand, when everyone gets this virus and starts dying. Uh, I think when everyone realizes that uh, things kind of, this ship gets righted, I guess, a, a little bit. Um, I agree with you that TPL deserves a stunningly high valuation to take out that is well above the current price. Setting aside the water business, which I think ultimately will be worth a fortune, the surface acreage and prospect of an oil spike, I'm trying to quantify the bear case of valuation and consider how an acquirer would look at TPL's Permian resources today. Based on TPL's recent presentation, pages 14 to 17, they assume 495 million barrel oil equivalent in total, and some fraction of those reserves economic to the operator, <clears throat> excess of 38% IIR at $55.275 for gas. Those aren't exactly conservative assumptions, and to get a significant premium from here, we need to see higher EURs from better well spacing, technology advances, and more attractive type curves. Is that reasonable, and do you think a buyer will make that leap before actually seeing improvements at the wellhead? If not, then the real upside here is from the water business, which absolutely could happen, <clears throat> but it's in the very early innings. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cold's kicking my ass. Um, okay, there's a lot, lot to this question. Um Let me see where to start. Uh, let's talk about the water business, and we'll just put that aside. The water business is in the early, and, and see, the water, well, the water business is in the early innings. We know it's doing very, very well, right? Water business is doing incredibly well. Obviously, without um, much disclosure, which we don't get and we haven't gotten, but we will soon start getting, <clears throat> um, it's really hard to tell and put hard numbers on it, right? Um, but we're going to eliminate the water business. Um, we know it could, it's going to be a multi-billion dollar business um, and it's growing, you know, very, very fast. Um, so we know that's going to be worth a lot of money. And I don't think that the water business, and again, and this is, this is partly a self-induced wound um, by the company, is that you know, the water business, most, a lot of people don't know about. And they don't realize the value of it and how big it's growing and, and what, what a significant part of the company is probably going to become because you don't get any disclosure. You don't get earnings calls. You don't, you, know, you don't get anything. So, you know, part of this is, you know, self-inflicted. Uh, but, I mean, that gives us, gave us an opportunity to buy shares very cheap. And, you know, look at, look at Horizon, Murray Stahl is... You know, I just like this morning, bought another 135 shares. You know, his buying, when he first bought this, he was buying 30 to 40 shares every day. On, on average. And obviously, there were some days higher, some days lower. And then during the whole conversion committee thing, it dropped into the single digits. He was doing, you know, eight, nine shares a day. 
and you know, <clears throat> right before they announced and, and now that they've announced, he's up to 130 to 150 shares a day buying. So clearly, Murray's all in on this one. So if you look at the barrel of oil, 495 million barrel of oil equivalent total, some of their reserves. Um, they're not conservative assumptions, right, at $55 a barrel and two seventy five for gas. And I do, what, he, basically the argument, not the argument, the statement he's making is that is it going to be worth that much more than we think it is given what they think the reserves are that are in the ground pulled out unless we get technological advances on wellhead and spacing and more extraction and things like that. And I guess my answer to that is, well, we are. In what's going on in fracking, the technology side of it, um, and what's even just happened in the last two or three years is really quite amazing. Uh, the amount of oil they're able to pull out of these wells now and, and, and the length that they're able to drill these wells. You know? so, so yes, so there is a lot more well spacing because they're, they're drilling 10,000 feet, 15,000 feet for some of these wells, whereas only a few years ago they were going two to 3,000. And you had a lot more wells and a lot higher costs. Those costs are falling. And I think that's a double-edged... <clears throat> that's, not, that's usually a bad thing, but it's, it's a positive on both aspects in that not only do I think we're going to see higher oil prices, and there's, there's always more oil than they think there is. Okay, so that 495 million barrel of oil, I think that's conservative, number one. But number two, costs are falling in the, the space on a regular basis. And right now, one of, the most <clears throat> one of the most costly parts of the Permian is transportation and water. Getting it out of there is so hard. They're doing it by trucks and by train until these pipelines come in. That's going to be a significant drop in price for the producers, which makes that even more valuable, the Permian. So <clears throat> I think you have several catalysts. If you're, an, if you're looking to be a potential acquirer and you want all that land and you have a set metric of economics for the area now, I think that's going to change significantly in the next couple of years for the positive because your costs are going down. I mean, <clears throat> significantly, right? These pipelines coming in right now, you know, they're, they're drilling for oil and they're burning off the gas. They're getting zero monetary value for the gas that's coming out of the ground. Think about that. When you drill for oil, two things come out of the ground, oil and natural gas. Right now, they're only selling one of them because they don't have any oil pipelines I mean, I'm sorry, they don't have enough gas pipelines to pull it away. Kinder Morgan just put two in. Williams has one coming. Kinder Morgan just said on the call last week they, have, they need two more pipelines in the Permian. And these are massive, two million, you know, two million um, cubic feet a day pipelines. These are huge. 
and they need two more, they're saying, because of the amount of gas in there. Well, if you're, if you're looking at, to be an acquirer, and you're looking at acquiring this land, not only are your drilling costs falling, because fracking drilling costs are falling at a, at a pretty regular rate as new technologies come online, and they just get better at doing what they're doing. But then you say, no, I'm also going to have this product to sell that right now I'm not selling. And as drilling gets better and they get better at what they're doing, they are finding more oil. So that 495 million barrels, that's going to go up. So I think you have three very positive events. And, and none of that stuff is really contingent on the price of oil going up, which I, I still think it's going to. You know, you get a spike in oil, a prolonged time of oil into the 60s. 65, maybe close to 70. All these metrics blow up for the positive. So, you know, I think for an inquirer, it's worth a hell of a lot more money. I think we're going to start seeing multiple expansion once we start getting the word out. Once people, I mean, I, I saw, um, you know, they do all these end of the year things and, you know, TPL was the 14th best, best performing stock from 2000 to 2020. I guarantee you, if that's 100 people in the business, what TPL is, they wouldn't know. That's how unknown it is. People had no idea. So, you know, you had your normal names at the top, Apple, Amazon, Google, Netflix, <clears throat> right? You had all those, but you had little TPLs at number 14. I didn't, I didn't know about it until it was brought to my attention. And, you know, people don't know about it. You don't, you don't get that huge interest in buyer interest. You don't get those price swings associated with that. So um, it's going to happen. You know, it's, it's an incredibly valuable company based on just what it owns. We assume operationally they're being run well. We'll find out a lot more pretty soon. And what if they're not being? I mean, can you imagine the financial results that they're putting out? You know, what if they're not being well run? What if there's a lot of wasted inefficiencies? Right? Think about that. I mean, it could be true, right? I mean, they're making a lot of money simply because of what they hold. The geography of what they hold is incredibly valuable. So they're making a lot of money and they have no debt. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean they're efficiently run. What if they're not? And what if that comes out to play when, you know, the C-Corp conversion is done and we get the disclosure you want, people start realizing, Jesus Christ, these guys are forced gumping their way into millions of dollars and a billion dollar valuations because they, just, they don't know what they're doing. What, I mean, what if that's true? And then you get some high-class operators in there. I mean, you could see results that make your head spin. I mean, we know that none of the trustees really has any oil and gas experience, and they wanted to put a U.S. Army general on there instead of a guy that has decades of oil and gas experience. I mean, there's no reason for us to just patently believe that this is a well-oiled machine just humming along and being expertly run. There's no reason for us to assume that. 
no, there's no reason to say it's not either. But, you know, if you're looking at things that could cause potential upside, if it's, being, if it's making a lot of money and well run, well, okay, that's great. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if it's making a lot of money and it's not well run, and given this type of asset, that is a possibility. If you get people in there who know what they're doing, that just even adds even more fire to the upside. I mean, this isn't an overly complex company. They've been doing the same thing they've been doing for decades, right? They don't have to reinvent the wheel, but, I mean, they may be doing things that they've done 20, 30 years ago just because this is the way we've always done it. Well, that doesn't mean today that that's the best way to be doing this. They may be leaving money on the table with every contract they sign. They may not be looking at the business the way they should look at it in 2020, the way they looked at it in 1980 or 1970. So, and again, without disclosure, without, you know, nice fat K1 to read, you don't really know that, but it's definitely a possibility. And yeah, honestly, I, in, 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 in some way, I hope it's true. I hope they're not a well-run company right now. <clears throat> that would be fantastic. It would become very obvious very quick. You can make management changes, make changes to the board of directors and get people that know what they're doing and really just get this thing humming. You're going to see profits explode and more upside in the stock. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. But it is a business where, you know, I mean, they're dealing, they're dealing with people who have spent their entire lives in the oil and gas business, right? Typically, you know, your oil and gas CEOs, you know, it's not like a retail guy or, you know, retailer or something like that. If you're, oil, you're a CEO of oil and gas companies because you, you put decades into that business, that industry, you know it inside and out. And trustees don't have much oil and gas experience at all. So I don't know. It's just a thought that came to my head. It's definitely a scenario that could be there. If it's not, oh, well, no big deal. If it is, great. So I think back, to, I kind of got off on a tangent, but back to the original question, um, I think that the value um, is definitely there. I think that costs, costs would be real, cost savings would be realized. There's definitely more output coming to be sold, right, instead of flared. And I think there's still they will discover there's more oil there than they think. And as new drilling techniques come out, they're going to find even more. I mean, West Texas was left for dead a couple decades ago. Now look at it. So, so I think, let me just double check. I think that's all the questions. I hope I answered that decently, but... If I didn't, then please send me an email. <laughs> Let me know. Um, we could always talk about it again. I, I like talking about um, this company because it's very different than everything else is out there. And that makes it highly interesting and uh, something I like looking into. So um, I think that's it. So congratulations to any Chiefs fans we have out there.
Um, it was a hell of a game, good Super Bowl. Well played, I thought, on both sides. And um, you got your win, and I'm happy for Andy Reid. Um, well, a little known fact, I did, I did not know this, that Andy Reid's brother is the guy who plays Cameron on Modern Family. I had no idea that he was his brother. I, thought, I just found out like two or three days ago. I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, absolutely meaningless for our point of view, but it just popped into my head. So, uh, so that's it for this week. Um, hope everyone had a great weekend. Hope everyone has a great week. And uh, I'll be back at the end of this week. I'm doing a lot of traveling uh, this week. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'll be back Saturday. And then traveling again Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the next week. So um, I will get to the podcast. I'm not sure when it's gonna, when I'm going to be able to post it. But I will absolutely uh, get one done so that um, any questions we can answer. Um, but uh, just I, and just telling everyone this, so everyone, um, um, so that you uh, are aware that you know I'll be I'll be in and out of town, and um, the time is just going to be a little different than normal. So, all right, have a great one, everyone.